You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Welcome to panel on songwriting. Uh, thankful you're here. I just want to start by reading from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Uh, let me pray for our time together and we'll begin. Lord, we do praise you that you have um, you've welcomed us into this craft of songwriting, this response of songwriting. And I thank you that because of the goodness of who you are, because of the glory of the gospel, there are untold songs to be sung. There are innumerable songs to be sung of your greatness, your goodness, to even day after day declare your glory and tell of your salvation. So we praise you here in this moment for the richness of the salvation you've given to us through Jesus Christ. Let that just rest in us fresher this morning, or this afternoon. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that was a uh, prayer misfire. <laughs> I just said this morning, you see, but it's afternoon here, Eastern time, Grace. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we're starting that since we're talking about songwriting. We talk about Grace a lot. Um, thank you for being here. By show of hands, how many of you have written songs that were aimed for church singing? Okay, hands down. How many of you have been in a church service where your song has been sung? <clears throat> you're in church. You're actually singing songs that you've written. Okay, fantastic. Okay, very good. Um, my name is Matt Boswell. I've been writing songs since 1995. Uh, the first song I wrote was in the key of C-sharp minor, which I thought was pretty edgy. 1995. Uh, it was four chords. It was like this non-going minor key brooding thing. Al Mohler would have hated it. Yes, he would have. <laughs> yeah, he would have. Um, and um, and that, that began my journey of songwriting. I was very influenced by vineyard music <coughs> in the mid-90s and just tried to emulate that style, very simple songs uh, to Jesus. The older I've grown, the more I've started writing in the tradition that I grew up in. Uh, I would call it the school of Watts. Uh, so just writing more like hymnic structure, but recently trying to write more courses like with, with the hymns that I'm writing. So um, for me, it's kind of ongoing process of, of growth and development. So uh, by way of introduction, that's, that's me in my beginning of songwriting. Would you guys like to jump in? Yeah. Uh, my name is Michael Bleeker, and I started writing songs in probably 2000. I uh, wrote a song at Washita Baptist University where I was going to school. And, um, and so that's, that's my first song. Married, four boys at home, and, um, and a worship pastor at the Village Church in Dallas. Um, my name's Aaron Ivey, and worship pastor at the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas. And I didn't, um, I feel like I uh, was kind of a late bloomer to, uh, to music and to writing. I didn't know Jesus until my freshman year of college, so um, that wasn't really a part of, of life or thinking about songs or anything like that. Um, and then my freshman year in college, I... I met some guys that loved the Bible, and they talked about Jesus all the time. They were just crazy about him, and they were really, really amazing, cool guys that I just loved being around. And they had an acoustic guitar that they would just always kind of pass around. And they just played these songs, these worship songs, and I'd never heard worship songs before. Like, I grew up around church stuff, but it was... Um, it was just a totally different different culture. Um, it was It was very... Um, very legalistic kind of background stuff. So I'd never heard like worship songs like courses and stuff. And I was just really just um, kind of amazed by it. And um, I never really like said I want to write worship songs. But as I fell more in love with Jesus, it just became kind of a natural thing that I wanted to um, say something to him that kind of came from from my gut and my heart and what I read about him in the Bible. And so I, I've kind of feel like in a lot of ways I stumbled into writing and have tried to figure it out since stumbling into it, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Would you, um, would you just share with everybody y'all's process from songwriting? Uh, and I think specifically, just to narrow our focus, we're talking specifically on writing songs for the church. 
Okay, so like, um, like artist songs, that's a whole different category. For me, it's a whole different category and system and way of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so just writing songs for the church, would you kind of walk us through your process? Yeah. I mean, I'm not in the center's, like the king's chair, but I guess I'll start. Uh, which, this by was the, the way, last chair that was available, <laughs> by the way. If you think these chairs look goofy, like from out there, you, you feel really goofy when you're sitting in them. So we didn't choose them. Boswell chose them. We, me and Bleeker didn't choose them. <laughs> Uh, Nothing process. wrong with a classy chair. <laughs> process for, for writing songs. Um, I, you know, I feel like there's so many things about the process that, that um, you know, are very static and things that I do all the time. But then there's, with different seasons, those processes kind of like change and tweak. You know, for example, right now um, is a different season of songwriting than it maybe was last year. Um, I think the thing I'm learning the most is that it's important to have a steady rhythm of writing in your life. Um, So I write every single day. Um, I don't write songs every day. I don't write, you know, like sit down with a guitar and come up with a chorus or write a verse every day, but I write something every single day. So like, for example, you know, the two hour break that we had here, um, I I knew that just to keep my mind like constantly jogged with with, um, creative thoughts, whether it's to use in, in teaching or a song or whatever, that it's important for me to like write something. So I just sit in front of my computer in Evernote. I use Evernote just to file every single thought that I ever have, you know, about stuff. And I just I just wrote like a couple lines about and it wasn't like Dear Diary today was so neat, but it was just some thoughts I <laughs> XO, had about XO. what the Lord is doing, you know? So writing every day has been a huge, huge help. That way you always kind of have a bank to go to and you're not looking at a blank sheet of paper saying, God, what do, what do I want to say today? But you've got these like banks of thoughts and things that God has been stirring in you that you can always kind of go back to. So that's the first thing that's helped me a lot. Um, the second thing is to have like a designated um, time every single month or every single week, wherever your bandwidth is right now in your life, that you devote to co-writing. Um, co-writing has been a huge part of um, staying fresh with writing for me. And so I have on my schedule um, every single Thursday, um, like an hour or two just for co-writing. Um, so I didn't, I haven't always had that kind of bandwidth in my life to do that, but I, I do right now. And so that's a real priority. So even for you, if it's, if it's like, you know, a Monday morning or a Monday night or once a month, you and a couple guys in your church getting together to, to co-write, just having some rhythm in your life where you can kind of look to it and say, okay, I'm going to be sharp. I'm going to be ready for that. Show up for it. That's a couple things that come to mind. Um, my my process is is uh, kind of simple in that I, I like to write down my prayers, and so whether whether they're my prayers or whether they're someone else's prayers that that really resonate with me, um, anything that that will overwhelm me to the point of of thinking, praise the Lord, this causes me to worship, this stirs affections in me. Uh, I want to write that down, just like Aaron. I, I use I use notes in my phone, um, and I just. I write down ideas, and I have uh, a horrible amount of notes that I haven't gone back to and looked at. But there, there's, there's just a lot that I could go back to um, if I have the time. <clears throat> and so they're there. There's these ideas that I've written down, and uh, and they're there. And so, and I have access those, and it's been fun to sit down with a blank piece of paper and, and just go, Lord, what, what are you, what are you saying? And then I can go, Well, what have you said? And I can look back and, and start there. Um, another example is um, something that I read and something that has stuck with me. And so I was reading the Valley Vision one day, and I read, All things in me call for my rejection. All things in you plead my acceptance. And I was overwhelmed with those two lines. I prayed them. Um, I, I tried to put them to melody. I was just singing them. I couldn't do anything. And I, I took a nap. I woke up, and boom, there was this melody. And I went to my computer, I wrote those two words down, <clears throat> and I put it down in the middle of the Microsoft Word document because I, th- I felt like that was going to be like a pre-chorus, so I kind of labeled it. Uh, and then I wrote a verse, and I kind of wrote a chorus, and then I thought, I'm stuck. And so I called Boswell, and he came over, and we finished the song together. And so, um, so one, write down your prayers. Write down the things that, that the Lord overwhelms you with. What is he moving in you? Because it's going to be really difficult to lead a song that you wrote if it hasn't moved you. Um, and, then, uh, and then involve other people into the process. If you get stuck, um, call someone else in. Uh, someone that you trust biblically um, and, uh, and have them help you. So that's, that's kind of my process. 
I wouldn't say that I'm writing every day, but I wouldn't say that I'm not. Like anything I read, I'm collecting words. Like I'm always looking for like just a word that stirs me, um, and then I'll capture that word. And um, even reading like commentaries and like books for seminary, like yeah. none of that's wasted in the songwriting language. I'm still like pulling those. I'm just looking for phrases and words that are striking to me and just collecting those. Uh, I think part of writing hymns for the church is you've got to be a word collector. You've got to love language. Um, and so I spent a ton of time in old hymnals. Um, that, that's part of what led us to doing this Watts project is I spend time with Isaac Watts, like, I don't know, three or four days a week. Um, just I, I want to see, like, how people have said things. And I'm looking for beauty, not, not, not like him, but his book. We both were like, what? Huh? We both were like, what? Yeah. yeah. No, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and Anne Steele, I want to see like how, like the beauty that she used to talk about her relationship with Jesus, um, and Augustus top lady. And I want to, I want to be able to like immerse myself in, in poetical language that, that stirs my love for Christ. Um, I use voice recorder. Do y'all use that? So like, I don't use Evernote, but I've got hundreds of voice recorder notes and they sound terrible. I don't sing near as good as either of these guys. So it sounds like, you know, a seventh grade boy singing into his phone. Um, Here's a fun game to play for you with like a friend of songwriter, a group of songwriters. Um, we play um, uh, cell phone Russian roulette, like with uh, voice memos. <laughs> so you have to pull out your phone, go to your voice memo app and just scroll and then hit one and play it. And everybody listens and laughs. It's great. You should do it. It's fun. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, mine's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a Samsung Galaxy, and it just caught fire. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, those those are helpful things for me. Just like reading, just collecting words, reading hymns, uh, seeing how people have talked about Jesus, um, and then recording things as much as possible. Um, you know, when life is hectic and busy, you don't have, like, hours to sit down and work on a song. So for me, it's kind of as I'm going. Like, I'll walk past. We've got this, like, 1899 piano in, our, in my study, and I'll just walk past it, go into the kitchen for something, and I'll see it. And I'll think, ooh, I need to go spend some time over there. And I'll just sit down for a few minutes, and, and maybe something happens, maybe not. But um, just the, the regular practice going back to it, um, you know, as regular as possible. Um, I'm a low output writer. I, I don't waste anything. So like, uh, I'm gonna hit one melody and then find lyrics for that until it's done, uh, which is very different than I probably than than most guys write. But I'm I feel like my breadth isn't there. So I feel like this is all I've got. I've got to finish this thing till it's done. Um, but so I, I mentioned that because so my my productivity is not as high as some songwriters. So Aaron, tell us about seven and seven. And what that looks like. Where, that, where did that come from? And what's the aim there? Mm -hmm. Well, it came from, so 7 and 7 is a, a, a discipline that we call um, our songwriters to a couple times a year. And it's really meant to be that, a discipline. So it's seven days. You write seven songs at the end of each day. You have to post that song in a public forum where you're sharing it with everybody else who's doing 7 and 7. One, to keep the iron um, uh, sharp. To keep the sword sharp, to keep the iron sharp, the iron hot, keep the fire hot, <laughs> whatever. To keep, to keep it's your your bowl, it's gotta be. Uh, to keep to keep yourself sharp, and then also to um, to uh, force yourself to put something out there. That's the hardest part: is to show somebody a song. You know that as a songwriter, like the the moment where you sit down with somebody and say, "Here's something that came from." my heart and soul it's just like the just the most vulnerable sort of thing so it kind of gets gets rid of that and um that's been really really helpful where it came from is i read a book uh several years ago probably five six years ago called um the war of art um it's a really good book just about disciplines of an artist it's it's not a um a christian book it, it has good principles in it that anybody can use no matter what art you're you're kind of into but i read it and as a believer i'm i'm reading about this this author who's saying hey if you're an architect you wake up every morning and you think about buildings you look at buildings you take pictures of buildings you sketch buildings on the backs of napkins you live and think and dream about buildings and then you make them you create them you put them out there somebody looks at it and enjoys the the beauty of what you created and so this author makes the point 
So if you're a songwriter, resist the temptation to think that, that you're just a, a songwriter who dabbles in it, but take it as seriously as somebody who would take it as a job. And as a believer, I translated that through the lens of the gospel. If I've been given a talent for writing anything, then I should be a good steward of that talent and not just wait till inspiration strikes, not wait till I just happen to see the perfect sunset, but to view it as, God, I want to be a good steward of this, and so I want to be disciplined in it also. I want to practice it. I want to be um, a person who receives criticism and feedback from people because I want to, I want to write songs that, that really do edify you and represent you well. And so it came from that book. If that interests you, the concept of discipline, you should totally read the first two parts of the book. The third part is about like crazy um, mystical stuff about worshiping the sun and stuff. So don't read that part. Um, but the first two are, are awesome. And not like the son of God, but the sun in the, in the, in the sky sun. Um, so it came from that. And um, it's just a challenge to kind of keep, keep you sharp. Um, Every time I see you doing seven and seven, I think, I'm going to do it this time. Yeah. And then it comes time to actually sign up, and I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> it's really, really hard. Um, really hard. The, the one that we did most recently, um, a couple other guys organized it, two other worship leaders on our team, and uh, they did, I think it was seven songs in seven weeks, which was even more, um, I think maybe even more helpful because it, it gave everybody a little bit more breathing room to do it. So no matter what you're, you're challenges for yourself or for your team i think it's good to have something or you could go easily a couple years and just have voice memos and notebooks full of ideas but never actually finish them that's the hardest part is finishing an idea you know and i'll just say one more thing about finishing ideas you know um we call it like um, you know, when you write a song and it's half finished that you usually just put it in the, in the graveyard, right? And it just dies and it's just old bones that you just kind of walk away with and you're ashamed of. There really is no graveyard for songwriting. Every single one of those half finished songs or half finished ideas or ideas that you think are terrible, all of those have something in them that can be used for something else. And so even if you table it for a little bit, go back to it and see maybe there was something that the Lord was really... Um, doing in you that might have been just a phrase or a verse or a, a title of a song that ends up um, maybe fueling some other creative idea. So there's no there's no graveyard um, in songwriting. There's always little pieces that can be used from it. If I, want, I want to interject here also. At the beginning, we talked about our process. Um, I, I just want to encourage you to uh, to not follow a formula necessarily. Uh, obviously, if you don't have anything in place, follow a formula. But if it doesn't work, if a song doesn't come out of it, don't lose heart. Um, don't just take what the way we do things and uh, and assume that that's how uh, we're supposed to write a song. Um, and rather, uh, what Basil, I think, was talking about earlier was really position yourself under the waterfall of the Lord, uh, of his grace, his word, um, and and be, be available at all times, at any time, um, to write. And take heart in that the Lord has chosen you, one, <laughs> um, to be a son or daughter, which is fantastic. And you have... Um, the Spirit of God in you, um, so take heart in that, and and He has called you um, to be where you are, and so you are a worship leader, a pastor. You have been been given charge over God's people at your church, and so take that um, seriously. Don't uh, just like as Aaron said with songwriting, <clears throat> don't just assume ah nobody wants to hear this. This is this is not good. This is something the Lord has done in you, and had, this is a um, outpouring of that. Uh, of that good work. And so, uh, so just take heart in that. Be confident in that. And I talked to someone at the airport yesterday and he said, I'm not, I'm not a songwriter. Um, I just, I don't think I have that in me, uh, but I love to lead and, uh, and I am the worship leader of my church. And, and I said, well, okay, well maybe, maybe you're not a songwriter, but, but you probably are and you just don't know it. Um, you probably don't have the confidence to, if you pray a prayer, if, if uh, you, you're reading a portion of a book and that moves you and stirs affection in you, um, to just write it down and pick up a guitar or piano and go, let's, let's try something here. And just to try it and just put it together. So uh, just take, take heart in that. Um, who would you say have been influences in how you write, both in the church and just in general? Like who's inspiring to you as, as a songwriter? You're inspiring to me. And you're inspiring Thanks, to me. Thanks. Thanks. There's Seriously, a lot. I really, I, there's a lot of love. I said that kind of 
whatever. But Snarky. it's true. These Snarky. guys, these guys are. Um, the Lord has really gifted them. Uh, I've been I've been moved in a lot of ways by the songs that both of you written. I sing them at our church, and our and our people are moved by what the Lord has done through you guys. And so, um, really grateful for that. Um, and <clears throat> and then I, really, I go. Uh, I, I love what what a lot of people are doing today, and we do uh, a lot of uh, current songs. But um, but my favorite favorite writers, um, and this is gonna make you really happy, are the hymn writers. Um, so I love opening in a hymn and and just consuming it. And maybe as I read along with the hymn, I read it straight through. Maybe a little bit of a melody will come about. Maybe the way two words interplay and work together, maybe kind of sparks a little bit of a melody. Um, and I also love the Valley of Vision. There aren't any names attached to it, but they're Puritan uh, prayers that were written down. And, uh, and those, those, song, those words uh, have, have created a lot of songs on this stage. <laughs> and, you know, the Lord has used uh, those words to really influence us. Um, and I, I would encourage you to pick up that book, The Valley of Vision. It's a really good one. That's I agree with that completely. Those are those are um, my foundations for sure. Also, I just adding to that, um, uh, I, I like listening to songwriters that um, that can take like really familiar truths and then say them in a way that just makes you your mind kind of think again about something that used to be familiar. Uh, one of my favorite guys that does that is a guy named Ryan O'Neill. Um, he, he writes under uh, Sleeping at Last. And he's a believer and just an amazing person, right, that loves Jesus. And he kind of made this commitment over the next, like, 10 years to write about things that seem very common, like fear and um, the moon and the sun and Jupiter and just water and air, like things that we just kind of see or think about all the time. But he fleshes them out in this really beautiful way that ultimately, when I listen to it, makes me worship Jesus because that's what he's doing when he's writing these sort of songs. I'll tell you that to say, like, one of the, um, I think, fears in all of us as songwriters is to say, look, there's so many songs about God's grace. What in the world could I contribute to the sea of songs about God's grace? Or why would I write another song about the cross when there's been so many wonderful songs about the cross? And I would just say to you this, um, your, um, the way that you have experienced grace is unique to you. Like, it's the same grace that I've experienced, right? It's the same God that showered me with grace, but my story is different. God wrote my story different than he wrote your story. And so your journey with experiencing God's grace is important. Like, people need to hear that as a songwriter. They need to experience how you, hear how you experienced God's grace and how you met Jesus at the cross and how Jesus has done so much incredible, beautiful, wonderful, rich things in your life. So you almost have to resist the temptation to say, man, I mean, what else am I going to say about God's kindness when there's so many good ones about it? You know, take really common ideas that seem familiar and then flesh out like what the Lord has done in you and what he says in the scripture about those things. And then don't be afraid to, to be really emotional about what the Lord has done and who he is. I think so many times as hymn writers and songwriters for the church who love theology, right? We do. We should love theology, and I love it deeply. Um, we, we're too afraid sometimes to insert some of our like emotion and love for it and appreciation for it onto the piece of paper. And I think God's uniquely wired you guys, us, to write songs of very, very strong theology, right? That can't be, it can't be picked apart. It can't be broken apart. It's not weak or flimsy but then to also talk about how that theology has impacted your heart in just such a profound way that affects every area of your life. Do you, do you think about that when you're writing? Like, so for a while, um, I would try to, like, cram content, like, into a verse, mm -hmm. right? Like, Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about light and heat. So I would try to put a lot of light into the verse and then the chorus be heat. So, like, content in the verse and let the chorus just be response to what we've already sung. Yeah. I still think I try to do that, even like in a hymnic structure. It's so like in the A section, let that be kind of more content. But then the melody's got to like soar and be emotive uh, in the second part. Are you yeah. thinking through that like in categories? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even thinking about there's different ways for that emotive part to come out. Maybe it is in a B section. Maybe it is just the melody. I've heard some melodies that don't even need words. 
I'm like, what's happening to me? Why am I, why am I wanting to stand up yeah. and put my hands in the air? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, using all different elements of of writing to express um, the emotive parts of of songwriting. Yeah, for me, influences even like with no words, like Thomas Newman. Mm-hmm. Like listening to a, to a Thomas Newman soundtrack is absolutely soul stirring. Uh, my brother-in-law Jordan Kreitz writes like cinematic scores. Yeah. I listen to those all day. Oh, the Reveille. So the Stone released two records called the Reveille One and Two. I listen to those weekly. Oh, thanks. Literally, man. like that something without words. Really, plus I can't work with lyrics going on. It's distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Peterson for me, I, I think the way he speaks is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I find so much beauty in life in the way he says things. I really want to write like Andrew Peterson. Yeah. And, um, and even going back to Rich Mullins, like Rich wow. could say things in a way that like was really honest mm-hmm. and just punch you in the gut. And like, I've thought that, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it's so hot inside my soul. I swear yeah. there must be blisters on my heart. Like, who talks like that? Right. You know? Um, there's, there's like specific lines like that. Those guys have been very influential, um, I think, in me in... in um, trying to find language. You know, Anne Steele would always use the word ineffable. The word ineffable means like it can't be spoken. And that's what makes songwriting so difficult, I think. We're trying to do something. Like, we're trying to fit in English. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in metered English, something that is so grand yeah. and beautiful, um, it will drive you crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've heard. <laughs> right. I've friends that went crazy. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it drives me nuts mm-hmm. trying to, like, find the right word in the right spot. That, and also, because what's also in view there is God's glory and the joy of people, right? We're trying to, like, give language to God's people to pray and to respond. And um, my goodness, that can be a neurotic process. Yeah. I think honest is a good word also um, to consider as you, as you write songs that, that he just mentioned. Um, be honest. Again, I think I've said it earlier, but as you're writing, is this coming from your heart or is this something that you think they're going to like? Hmm. Is this something that's going to glorify the Lord and the, the truth that, that he put in your heart and it's out, outpouring and flowing out of your heart onto a page? Is that what's happening? Or are you thinking um, this is, the church is really going to love this? You know, and so I think be honest with yourself as you write. These are these are truths that you believe to be true, and so you're going to proclaim them. And uh, and the song even could, on some other ears, maybe fall flat, but because it's coming from your heart and you're a pastor minister um, in front of your people, they're going to see that passion. They're going to know that truth, and because they know you, and it's it's going to be real to them. It's going to they're going to enjoy it. They're going to they're going to praise the Lord with it. Does that make sense? Um, but I think honest is a good word as you write. Agree. Um, one of the most profitable things uh, in, in sessions like this is for us to just talk together. And so we want to have plenty of time um, to open up for questions to help shape the rest of our conversation. So um, what questions are you, are you thinking through? Are you asking? And well, we'll try to be as helpful as possible in, in that. So how do you fight cynicism in a local church? Well, let me just say, like, we just read Psalm 96 three times. I think the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. So, Got it. How are you fighting cynicism in your own practice of writing songs? Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I... Uh, I think I have a whole lot of experience with being a, a, a really good cynical person um, because, um, you know, after the Lord did a really good work in my life, somehow I got really cynical about the church and about 
art and Christian music and all that kind of stuff. And now for me, cynicism is something that I just remember as being just a deadly drug that causes so much destruction, like in my own heart and then in the hearts of others when it's projected out there, you know? And I remember when I was kind of, when God was really freeing me from this cynicism, um, I just put a little piece of tape on the top of my computer, uh, you know, the little white part where there's usually a little camera and I just covered it up and it was just, it just said cynicism kills. Um, because that's what cynicism does. There's, there's moments in our life where we should be um, kind of outspoken about things that aren't right or things that aren't um, true. But cynicism, to be cynical about something, never really helps anything. And so if you're in a role where you can teach that and you can really kind of push your people towards not being cynical and rejecting cynicism, great. It might just mean for you speaking to your own heart and um, and reminding yourself that cynicism really has no place in the believer's life and heart. You know, I, I just feel like I had to learn that the really, really hard way um, instead of like seeing little bitty snippets of cynicism creep in and, and rejecting them. You know, so I think it starts really simple with you asking a question like that, like, how do I make sure I'm not cynical? I think it means being really honest with people around you, having just a few people, maybe it's one or two that are really encouraging you and pushing you as a, as a songwriter to keep doing it, like a, a small inner circle of people, you know, that can remind you um, that, hey, you're, you're called to do this, you can do this, um, the Lord is going to speak songs to you. Encouragement, right, um, helps a lot with getting rid of, of cynicism. Um, yeah, is that helpful? I also think if, you're, if you feel like your church is cynical, like, why are we singing one of your songs? There's a lot of songs. What makes yours better? Um, I, I don't ever make a big deal about that. Like, I never tell my church, like, oh, I wrote this song. Just I want everybody to know. I'll say, like, if it's an old hymn we're introducing, they might even think that I wrote that too, mm-hmm. which I love that. You take it. But <laughs> literally, I'm like, yeah, Rock of Ages, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Literally, the way I differentiate, like if I'm doing like a Bleaker or an Ivy song or, um, yeah, or a Top Lady song, I'll, the only difference, I'll, or one of my own new hymns, I would say, um, I want to teach you a new hymn this morning about such and such. Uh, that, would, that would give me a category for something new. Or I want to teach an old hymn. That's the only distinguishing mark that, that I'll make. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't say like, you know, Thursday night I was in the throes of despair and wrote this hymn. I'd like to struggle together this morning through. Yeah, I just, you know, yeah. Plus, if they don't like it, then I'm not responsible. So, yep. I think, uh, real quick, uh, self-awareness is a huge piece of that, a healthy self-awareness. To be able to, to look at yourself and, and think, like, like they've been saying, uh, I'm cynical. I am, I'm a cynical person. To be able to say that, and in a biblical way, to fight the enemy um, on that. Because uh, that's cynicism is nothing more that, than sin, um, and so how do we fight sin with the Word of God? And so make sure, I, I mean everyone knows this, but I just have to say it: the way we fight cynicism is with the Word of God, hidden in our hearts, that we might not sin against Him. Psalm one eighteen, um, and so and then and with that word, being always asking yourself, where's my heart in this? I see something, I don't like it. Where is my heart in it? Um, so I was at a conference a few years ago and there were, uh, 12 people on mics with the puffy little, you know, thing over the mic and they were leading a Chris Tomlin song and, and in my heart, they were absolutely butchering the song. It was a, uh, let me just be careful. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. They were, they were leading it. They said, let's stand together. They start singing it. It wasn't my style. It wasn't the way I liked it. And I sat there and I was like, hmm, I'm just going to sit here. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't care. I just wanted to sit there and I wanted to f- fight the man and whatever I was doing. I was, I was cynical. And, uh, and I, I, I listened and I'm like, gosh, everyone is into this. <laughs> like, I'm the only one sitting down, you know? Like, okay, there's something wrong, and it's probably not them, right? Um, and, and at that point, I just stopped, and I started praying. And it, it was like the Lord said, they're singing to me, and you should be also. This is truth that I have given them. And no matter the style, uh, no matter the sound quality, whatever issues you have, um, this is about me. 
and my glory. And so stand up and sing this truth. And it was, be- I, I, I stood up with tears flowing down and it was just, it was incredible. I was worshiping of that terrible style. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, I, I, I think, and I'll just start with this. I think you can take it too far sometimes and you can stop becoming you. Um, and, uh, but, but it, it, I'll, I'll just stop there and then, and then start here. Um, we should be more diverse musically than the village. We need to be more diverse than we currently are. Um, and so we are pressing into that. Um, and, uh, and so I think, um, it's, it's been really sweet. So like in, in one regard, we've, we, uh, I got my worship team together. We read bloodlines together. Uh, we watched a PBS special on, uh, racism. It's a, it was like a four hour thing. I, I don't know if you saw it. It was incredible. Um, eye opening, powerful. Uh, and then we started meeting with some of the, the people in our, at our church, uh, some of the African-American people at our church where we're like, okay, so the things we say and the way we do songs and, uh, how is this? Uh, how is what 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 are you feeling like when I say hey we've got a gospel song we want to do something different this weekend and da 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 and they go yeah let's just start singing let's not let's not set us aside as the gospel people let's just sing to the Lord there's certain things that you can learn as you press into the different cultures at your church um, it's been fun to follow a band um, I. I I can't think of the name of them right now, but I've got them on my computer. Um, and they redo uh, r- the real popular songs in Spanish. And so uh, so we took, recently we took the uh, the old, um, um, oh gosh, what is the song? Uh, so the Spanish is, Tu amor no será, no se rendirá, no se cansa de mi. Yeah, you're loving her fails. Thank you. And uh, so we took that and we started doing it. We taught the church that chorus. And we just did it real slow, no music. Uh, taught them. It's on the screen with the, with the English underneath it. And then, uh, and then it became part of, like, that. when we do that song, we're throwing that chorus in. And to hear uh, the testimony, some of the people, there, there, was, there were a couple girls that did not speak English that came to church that one service. They'd never been to the village before. Someone invited them. Uh, they couldn't speak English. And they, they didn't understand any of the beginning of the service until they got to that chorus and they uh they started crying they then they thought um they care about my culture and not just their culture and it was just powerful to to think okay just that one little chorus could make have that effect um and so but we want we want more so we're pressing in to diversity we're pressing into culture we're, we're looking at how we can continue to do that um, we've did we've done some gospel weekends we've had horns on stage just super sweet uh really difficult <laughs> really involved um so that's what i'm saying is like we lost a guy, uh, he, he planted a church that, um, that put all that together for me and wrote all those parts. And then I tried to take it over and I, it just consumed me. I couldn't do anything else. And so that's what I'm saying, the, the pendulum swing. But I think being faithful to, to press into it, to listen to other styles of music, even if you don't like them, and think there are, there are just like you said, there are people that are sitting there that, are, um, that this, is, this is their favorite style of music whatever that is that you don't like, you know? And so how can we be all things to all people without sacrificing faithfulness? Brother? We talk about being intentional on correct theology and songs. Like, I found Jesus. No, no, no. Go. <laughs> Sorry if anybody likes that song. <laughs> I led that song, Michael. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the process of songwriting, before we go to the church with, with any kind of new song, we just need to be sure that we have held it to the light of God's Word, just like every other practice. Um, I love uh, Bleaker started this hashtag. You're like the Jimmy Fallon of worship leaders. Yeah. Um, he started this hashtag worship heresy, which is just genius. And um, we don't want to be accused of worship heresy, right? 
Um, so we just want to be careful with what we say and make sure that it is true. Um, you know, I, I quoted Moeller from T4G earlier this year. He said, um, churches are looking for songs with no heresy. That is simply not enough. And he said, some songs are so, um, are so like, just say nothing, they can't even be wrong. <laughs> He's like, it's so right, it can't even be wrong. And we don't want to write songs that can't be wrong. Um, I think there's even a place for like doctrinal distinctions where not every church could sing this hymn. I think there, there's categories for that. I mean, think about, um, I think we should be singing songs that like prosperity gospel churches couldn't sing because they're offensive with, with the truth. Um, that's an aside. But um, yeah, I think we, we just want to be truthful in what we sing and take it with seriousness. It's a pastoral thing. We're putting truth in the words of people's mouths. That's a sacred trust. Um, so just like every other thing else in our lives, we just want to hold it up to the Word of God yeah. and be careful. Yeah. In the same vein, self, self-awareness word, realizing you, you know truth. Uh, you know, you, you read the Bible, you study, but, uh, but to not completely trust yourself before you release that song to the masses. Ask someone else you trust to come in and, and look at it with a different view, different eyes, and... I mean, even, even 10 years ago, you would have Jeff Ashley look at stuff before you'd sing it. Um, I think, yeah, having other people consider your songs, I think, is really helpful. You all have a similar process at the Stone? We do. Yeah, yeah I was going to say first is to know theology, to be a student of it, you know, to consider yourself a theologian, whether that's your, your job or your whatever, but to say, I want to be a student of the word. I mean, exactly what they're talking about. Some sort of process for somebody else getting their eyes on it and not just you. Because you're, you're right, man. I mean, there's been times where, where maybe I've written something that sounds really good to me, and um, then I'll let one of our uh, you know, theologians on staff read it, and he'll be like, actually, it, it's not wrong, but it's blurry. It's confusing. So do you really want to confuse people if you're supposed to be teaching theology through songs? And I'm like, that's a really good point. Help me craft it. And so that, that's our, our system. We don't ever even lead a song that somebody else has written without it going through a couple of filters of, of people's eyes um, that say, yeah, this is, this is great. This is teaching good stuff. Or you, maybe you haven't thought about this, but this line is blurry. You know, So that's been really helpful to have a very clear... Um, kind of path. So we don't sing one single song unless there have been many eyes of people that have looked on every single lyric and said, we're affirming that our people should be singing this song. Yeah, great question. importance of having a singable tune. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what's helped me a ton just like just personally is listening to a lot of because I have one teenager and two more teenagers on the way is listening to a lot of really cheesy pop music because the one thing about pop music the reason it's called pop music is it's popular and the reason it's popular because it's catchy and so listening to a lot of like pop melodies there's something that's really good about them because it's an all skate anybody can sing it my eight-year-old can sing it in the back of the car my mother can sing it, um, you know, and so I think it's good to think about melodies, not like, you know, dumbing them down or, or just making them, um, you know, cheese pop melodies in worship music. But, hey, what are the principles of that? The principles are a melody that's repetitive, a melody that's not too high and not too low, a melody that has something that you can grab a hold of, call it a hook, you know, something that just comes out. You know, you, you've you've stood in, in, in rooms like this week where, a couple melodies just they stick with you even when you go out like I'm always thinking about what is that stick kind of factor thing where if I leave a co-writing session or a writing session and I get in the car and drive home and I can't remember the melody yeah. that we just wrote there's a really good sign that's missing some stick factor or some hook you know and then another good thing to do is just to like create a culture around you of feedback 
like wherever we got in this mindset that we should live in isolation and I'm the artist. So if you don't like it, man, then there's something wrong with you. I don't know where that came from, but create in yourself and in your, your people, your team, a, a culture of feedback. Hey, man, does this stick with you? What do you think? And then even when we try out new songs, just totally speaking practically, when we try out a new song, we'll try out a song, we'll give it one week, right? And it, after that one Sunday, um, we'll like take a really good evaluation of, was there any moments like in that song where you could visibly see people unable to follow? You know, you can see them. You can see them. They're looking at the words. They're in. And then maybe you go off to some weird, weird melody in the pre-chorus where you just lose people. Well, it's good to remember that and to go back and say, okay, well, how do we make the transition from this chorus melody to this pre-chorus melody without losing everybody and not distracting them, you know? Just to really be okay with picking everything apart and saying, if melody's not the aim, if the words and the human heart, right, responding to God and the truths of God is the aim, then what can we do to make the melody not a distraction, but a vehicle to get people in the mindset they need to be as a, as a worshiper? Just two quick thoughts. If you don't have someone like that in your church, um, it's very important. One of the benefits of coming to a conference like this is meeting folks that you could send songs to mm -hmm. for them to evaluate and give you feedback. Um, and then also your pastor, like your pastor should be involved in this decision as well. And so I would send, send songs to him and say, hey, would you, would you give me feedback? Do you want to sing this on Sunday? Does it give you joy to want to sing this song? And if he's like, no, no one would find joy in singing that, <laughs> then, uh, listen. then you've, yeah, you just, yeah, listen to that. So, I mean, surely, it, it, even in your teams, though, to share that with your musicians um, I, and, and get feedback from them or other songwriters from, uh, from outside of your own city. So. Have you ever been in a writing rut, and how'd you get out of it? Such a good, good question, That's Jimmy. A great question. Well, I love you, man. I'm so glad you're part of my I team. I love you too, Jimmy. Love you, bro. Love you, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, writing rut for sure. Um, writing rut in the sense of um, feeling like whatever I'm saying doesn't count. Not writing rut in the sense of... I don't know how to use this pen anymore or write, right? That's one thing we have to kind of like fight through is to be disciplined even when we don't feel like it, you know? It's just to show up, to just show up with the guitar or the piano and write something, you know? But I've definitely felt the rut of, ah, how do I say anything? And I don't really feel like saying anything. To be perfectly honest right now, I, I've told you I write every single day. I have not written one single song in about 10 months, not one. Not a, not a melody, not a verse, a chorus, a song title, nothing, not one. But it's because right now in my life, words are going to something different. So I'm, I'm focused on writing in a different way, not songs, but like words on a piece of paper, right? And that's really helped with staying out of a rut. Because I think if we always think like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to write a song today, it's usually going to lead to burnout. But if instead you're you're kind of like flexing different muscles and putting yourself in different places and writing with different people and reading different things and being inspired by different forms of art, I think that helps keep you fresh, right? So there's a part of me that feels like I'm kind of like a, a hack right now because what am I doing talking about songwriting? I haven't went and run in one in nine months. But I need to take um, words and put them in a different like bucket for a little bit because it keeps me fresher. Does that make sense? So I think staying out of a rut means yeah. you just – Shake it up sometimes, you know? Think yeah. about the illustration of a person working out. It's not good to do the same exact exercise every day. You got to do something different or you lose interest or your arms just become huge and your, your legs are like, um, you know, toothpicks, yeah. right? You got you to do the whole, the whole thing, so. I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, <clears throat> I want to add on to that. If I had to guess, there are a lot of personalities in this room that are like my personality, which is uh, total A-type and on time. Am I right? 
No, sorry. That was a bad joke. Um, I am never on time. I'm not A-type, um, but I'm creative. And so I guess that many people in here are creative type, worship leaders. And, um, and so with that creativity comes sometimes a sense of, uh, I, don't, I don't like this. I don't like what I'm doing and kind of getting down on yourself um, and uh, not trusting what the Lord is doing in you without, uh, there's times where I just, I lack confidence. And so with the same kind of thing where I'm not really struggling with writing something down on a piece of paper, it's more of, do I even like this? And um, is the, does the Lord like this? <laughs> Which is silly because it's just truth and I'm talking to him and I'm praying to him. Um, so I think there's a confidence factor as well um, in uh, when when you write and and a personality of just going, Lord, I I feel this sense of I'm no good. I don't need to be doing this. Uh, like the guy I talked to at the airport, uh, I'm not I'm not really songwriting. I don't feel I don't think that's really what I need to be doing. Um, I just don't have a lot of confidence there. Well, just start, try it. Just start it. And so I think with songs, get get some stuff on a piece of paper put some melodies to it and just see what the Lord does. Can I say one more thing? Because this is such a good question. It's so important for us. One more thing. I think sometimes, don't call me a heretic, just hear me out on the whole sentence here. I'm not talking about the word of God, okay? Stop. All right, so I, I think so many times our, our sources of creative inspiration are too narrow when we should open them up and listen and think deeply and watch things and read things, Right that maybe aren't quite so narrow so that we can creatively be inspired to think with different words and different languages and different like things to say. I'll give you an example. For me, a new kind of place that jogs my mind and kind of puts new creative thoughts in my head is, is podcasts. Like there's a podcast that has, it has nothing to do with, with faith or the Bible. It's a podcast called How I Built This. And it's about people who are like building a company or whatever. And they'll say some things in this journey of them trying to figure out what to do with their life. And I think, oh my gosh, that is the gospel right there. They don't even know it yet. But the way she said it is different than the way I thought it before. And she doesn't even know what she's talking about. So I want to use that. And I want to use those words or that, that kind of way of saying something to infuse that with the gospel. Where if I'm only listening to Christian music or I'm only watching... Um, Christian movies. Are there Christian movies? I don't know. But if our focus, right, is a little bit too narrow and we miss, like, being inspired and moved by the beautiful things and the broken things in life right in front of us, then it could lead to a place of feeling like you're in a rut, you know? Have a big bookshelf. Have a lot of books that you read. You're, you're a mature believer of Christ that has the Holy Spirit in you, right? So don't be afraid to to, to read something or watch something or, or to listen to a podcast that isn't put out by um, a, a Christian broadcasting network thing, you know? It could really jog new uh, ideas in your head. I think it'd also be helpful to write your way out of it. I think if you find yourself in, um, in a time of sorrow and depression, I think that's a helpful thing to write your way out of that. Um, you're, you're able to be honest in, in new ways in those kind of seasons. Um, some of my most favorite, some of my favorite hymns were written like that. There's, there's a kid who, um, suffers with depression in our church. And, um, a couple of months ago, I just went over and I read him, um, William Cooper hymns. Uh, he's like on, on the brink of suicide and I'm reading William Cooper. Why? Well, because he was too. And, um, I think there's life in that. And so, um, I think riding your way out of uh, some of those seasons is, is helpful. Well, right about God healing when you're hurting. Yeah. When you're not healed yet. I've I've been there and but I think what um what's good to remember is that we none of us are 
you know, we, we're not healed yet. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not over. There is a truth, though, in the word that says one day all things, right, all things will be perfect. And so, um, so I think, again, just going back to theology, going back to the word of God and, and having that um, in our hearts to, to thwart lies from the enemy, to thwart, um, how can I write this if I'm not even da-da-da-da, right? Um, again, just having the truth and being confident in the, the truth that the Lord has given us and not just how we feel, um, but knowing that, that one day I will be healed, whether on this side of things or the other. Um, I know that there will be a day, you know, and he is a healer. And so I'm going to believe that he does heal just in terms of what, what you're saying uh, in, in that, that context. But that, that's how. It's not surprising there's two questions about like depression and sorrow paired with writing songs for the church. Um, there is a peculiar pairing of those two things. Um, whenever I meet with like a young guy who's like, I want to write hymns for the church to sing, I'm like, well, buckle up, bud. It's a long road of suffering and despair, and then you'll die. Well, it, it is well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it is well was written after his children were drowned. Yep, between right? that and when he went crazy and became a heretic. Yep, right in that little window. Yeah. Yep. And then, but I mean, I mentioned Cooper earlier, and and Anne Steele and Charles Spurgeon. I mean, church history is filled with people who fought through depression in trying to create content for the people of God. Um, we need to talk more about that. That's a really important thing for us to be speaking on mm-hmm. and talking through. Yeah, how do we sing and write songs of lament? That's an interesting thing because what you don't want is like to create a Sunday morning service where somebody walks in, they're like doing great, and all of a sudden it's like, oh gosh, good grief, man. We've been in E minor for eight minutes. Everybody's depressed. Um, yeah, I think, I think we've got to communicate in that in sin and sickness and sorrow and even death the hope that is ours in Christ. I think that's the important thing. At the bottom of Christian suffering must be the hope of the gospel. And so if we're going to lament, our understanding of the gospel must be um, as deep as any kind of lamentation. Yeah. I think that's an important, important thing to think through. Because for a while in conversations, I mean, I know you guys remember this, going back like five, seven, ten years ago, it was, it was that question, like, nobody sings lament songs. It was almost like, we're prescribing like, hey, Sunday morning should basically be like a de- very depressing time where like you're giving every single experience in the room the ability to communicate how they're doing. Um, the reality is every single Sunday morning when we gather, there's people filled with great joy and people filled with great sorrow. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is the only cure for both. Um, it's, it's greater than the highest of joys and deeper than the deepest of sorrows. And um, so I, I think it takes pastoral reflexes um, and intuition and care and intentionality uh, to, to wade through those kind of conversations. How do we lament together uh, appropriately, rightly, where God's people are edified? Yeah. Remember, we're there for their increased joy. Yeah. That's why we're there. Um, and so for those who lament, absolutely. And for those who are already finding joy in Christ, yes, all, all of God's people. Any other thoughts on that before? My only thought when you were talking, man, was just, um, you know, it's really hard to write about lament or suffering, even if it's just a couple lines in a song that's covered with hope, right? It's hard to write about suffering and lament if you don't know what suffering and lament is in your own life. And so even if you're not in a place where you're suffering right now, do you know people that are suffering? Because you should, because you're a priest, you know? Um, And so real songs, they always come from like real life, real experience. And I've found the times in my life where, where it's been easier to write about uh, a lament or just embracing sorrow, right? Um, are the times when I'm actually around it and not just writing about it. And so 
my, my challenge to you, man, and all of us in the room would just be to really consider that, that we're called to be priests, not just leading people, but living with people. And then that starts to infuse into, into our songs, too, you know? If, if I can add something to that as well, uh, Spurgeon wrote, wrote these words about adversity, uh, and they're, they're pretty fitting for here. Um, no flowers wear so lovely a blue as those which grow at the foot of the frozen glacier. No stars gleam so brightly as those which glisten in the polar sky. No water tastes so sweet as that which springs amid the desert sand. And no faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs in adversity. Tried faith brings experience. You could not have believed your own weakness and ha had you not been compelled to pass through the rivers. And you would never have known God's strength had you not been supported amid the water floods. Faith increases in solidity, assurance, and intensity the more it is exercised with tribulation. Faith is precious and its trial is precious too. And so I think in the midst of adversity, in the midst of depression, Jimmy, you know, these things that we, we deal with, those are really the most lovely words, the most, the, the, um, the strongest ways of describing who the Lord is, because it's when you're at the bottom and, that you realize there's, there's the only thing that I ever need in this life is the Lord. Uh, when things are flying high and when they're good and we're on the mountaintop, you know, I think, uh, you know, we can, we can still write, of course, but I think some of the best songs come in those darker places. How do you have a successful co-write? And who do you have a successful co-write with? I'll just, let me say humility and then go. That's, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean. No, it really wasn't, but <laughs> <laughs> humility's good, though. What if you're writing with good. a very humble person, but who's not a good writer? <laughs> Walk out. Leave. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, y'all. We're just kidding. 90-10. Uh, a really good book um, to, uh, to consider as a resource is a book called Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Pattison. Um, and in it, they talk about co-writing, right? And that this has been really helpful. That there are ground rules for co-writing. And it's okay to start out a co-writing session or a co-writing relationship with some ground rules. There's a lot of them. Some of them that have been helpful are this is a, a no, no zone. So you've ever been writing with somebody and you have an idea and the person says, no. And you come up with an no. All that does is deflate you and defeat you. So there's a ground rule of in co-writing, there's never a no, right? There's a, hmm, I like that, keep going. Like dig deeper into that. Keep going, keep going. Like just words and posture and the way you communicate with each other helps so much, you know? Uh, Pat also writes about how uh, uh, fertilizer is what make thing, makes things grow. So there's no bad idea, right? That's what, that's what makes things grow is fertilizer. Uses a different word for fertilizer. Use your imagination. So what it's word? like, uh, so uh, when you're writing lyrics in a co-writing co session, it's got to be that mindset of there's no bad idea because even an idea that you think is bad might stir something else in that session to be something really, really beautiful. So throw it all out there, you know? There'll be other ground rules that you kind of come up with, but just sitting down with people and saying, here's how I write really well. How do you write really well? And coming up with some like kind of, ground rules of it um and then i think the other thing is um if we're writing songs for the church i had a friend um that it was the first time i ever wrote with him and he was a very different kind of writer and what we did for the first 30 minutes is we just sat and worshiped together and i was like man this is a different co-writing session than i've ever been in and this is the way this is the way it probably should be with two worship leaders getting together to write songs for the church what if a co-writing session started out with 30 or 45 minutes of just the two of you or the three of you or the five of you just worshiping together, you know? Um, that, that's been really helpful to do in co-writing sessions. And so there's a couple guys that I've found I work really well with, and I just try to do that more. And then the ones that don't work really well with, it's okay. We're just all wired differently. And we work different and have different kind of ways of doing stuff. It's okay, you know? So maybe find a couple people that you work really well with and pour fuel on that fire. Yeah. Yeah. Basel's my favorite co-write Mine too. guy. And there, because mainly there's... <laughs> it's because I always go, that's a great idea. <laughs> no. That's fantastic. No. 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 Wow. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And a biblical knowledge... 
just huge. You know, to have another brother go, yeah, but really they're talking about the bigger picture of blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, I need that when I write songs. I need a, a fresh perspective. So that's why co-writing is so good. But also humility. That The fact that, that Aaron can go, let's dig deeper into that. Really, maybe, in his heart, he's like, okay, I don't no. like that. <laughs> I don't like it that much. You know, but that takes a lot of humility to not go, you know what, my way is going to be better. Instead to say, keep, keep going. You keep going with that idea. That, that humility that gives another person confidence to go, okay, maybe we can do this together. That's huge. And that's, that's how it's been with him, yeah. I, I think the genre of song you're writing is really important. Like, mm -hmm. that person has to understand what you're trying to write, and you're trying to write the same thing, the same song. Um, my first co-write was when I, I wrote for Word Records, uh, I don't know, like 10 years ago. And like that was like my first co-write. I think I'd written with my little brother. That was it. And all of a sudden, you like walk into this room and you sit down with a stranger, and you're supposed to write a song by lunch because you have another co-write at 1 p.m. till dinner. And that just made me tired. Um, I just I couldn't do it. I wasn't wired for that. Um, and that's because the kinds of songs that I was trying to write. Um, so I just found a few brothers that I could write well with. And like I said, I don't write a lot. Um, I, I write pretty little, but um, it's with guys that I trust, guys that um, see things differently than I do. But there's, there's, um, we understand what we're trying to do. And there, if you're writing songs for the church, there's got to be a, a pretty deep level of theological cooperation. Um, you've got to understand each other theologically. I remember sitting down with a Lutheran brother trying to write a song on baptism. <laughs> that won't get you very far. We could write a lot of other hymns together, but not on baptism, because we disagree. We disagree on the, on the role of baptism in the local church, and that's okay. We just shouldn't write, try to write a hymn together on baptism. Um, so understanding someone theologically, I think, is important. Um, and then finding people just you, that you write well with, and that's a, it's a challenging thing. Um, and you're going you're gonna to hit some walls uh, up against trying to co-write with people. So if on one hand you have like, you know, orthodox biblical texts, but don't sing well. And on this hand you have like really emotive songs, but don't have much doctrine. How do you find the balance between those two? I think that's what we're after, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I, I want to be able to feel deeply uh, what we're singing. I, I want to like come out of my boots, you know, and yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I want it to stir my soul. I don't want to sing something that doesn't stir my soul. And pastor my own heart in singing. Both both of those are true. So I think that is that's the task, and um, may God give us grace in that work. Yeah, it's a really tricky thing. Yeah, my answer is going to be I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know, but that's what I want. That's what um, the journey that I'm on personally too. You know, but I don't know. I think he's saying he wants enough doxology and enough theology. It's the theology song. and doxology in that order. <laughs> <laughs>